1: If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
2: Hey, everyone. Just before we start the show, I I wanted to take a second to... say a few words about our, our very kind sponsors 100 resilient cities is a part of the Rockefeller Foundation, which which you'll probably know is one of the world's largest charitable endowments. 100 resilient cities is, is focused on, on helping cities around the world become more resilient to the, the social, physical and economic challenges of the 21st century. They're doing some excellent projects in terms of you know environmental sustainability in terms of economic sustainability and just in terms of you know making life generally better for everyone in cities from Manchester to Miami to Melbourne to Montevideo. You can find out lots more, including reading up on some of those fantastic projects at their website, which is 100resilientcities.org. Anyway, now on with the show. This is a
1: Manhattan-bound B-Express train. The next stop is Grand Street. Mind
2: for the gap. Hello, I'm John Elledge and this is Skylines, the City Metric podcast. You know what? I'm a bit pissed off today. As I record this, it's Monday lunchtime. I've been up for many, many hours because I was invited to appear on the Today programme on Radio Four this morning to basically shout at the campaign for the protection of rural England, a lobbying group with which I have some some minor disagreements. But it means I'm I'm I've basically just been obsessing about this this report they've put out on the Green Belt all day. So so let me give you the headlines. Basically. Uh, they say there are now four hundred and sixty thousand homes planned for england's green belt. basically there is this kind of a sea of bricks and concrete approaching and i've been feeling quite angry about all this and unable to think of very much else possibly because i had to get up so early and so my brain is not really so capable of uh, thinking of anything else but the problem with like doing a podcast is just me being sort of angry and sort of shouting about why I reported a load of old nonsense. I don't really have anyone to shout at, so I thought I would drag someone in so that I could basically shout at them about it for this week's podcast. So here's the New Statesman political correspondent and official young person, Mr. Patrick Maguire. Hello, Patrick. How are you?
0: I'm very well, John. I'm glad to be here again. Fulfilling my role as a uh, punchbag.
2: Nice to have you. Well, no, the CPRE is going to be the punchbag. You, you, you are. I'm going to be your hype man, your corner corner boy yeah you're the side you're the sidekick you're uh you're, you're robin to my batman
0: yeah I'm the, I'm the i'm rodney dressed as uh rodney dressed as robin in your doll boy
2: and this time next year we'll be millionaires so okay you don't spend as much time thinking about housing as i do obviously few people do but you've seen this report that, that the campaign for the protection of rural england's put out saying there's going to be like nearly half a million new houses on on england's green belts like how how does that make you feel
0: it sounds great to me uh, half a million new houses on England's green belt. But the small print, I suppose, actually, no, it's not the small print. It's the the large print. The headline of the report is, oh, but none of these houses are affordable. As if that's their objection. As if that's their real objection to why uh, they don't want... As to why they don't want these houses built on the green belt. If, oh, they're not affordable. Well, are we seriously saying if they built 500,000 starter homes on, you know, the green belt, yeah. in, in scare quotes, which, you know, as regular listeners to your podcast will know, includes a lot of car parks, golf courses... Etc. The same campaign for uh, the projection rolling that would then say, you know what, brilliant. You know, more, more. It's uh, disingenuous.
2: I'm not. I'm not entirely sold on this idea that you know, if it was going to be half a million council houses on <laughs> England's Green Belt, <laughs> I don't think at that point the CPRE would be okay, fair play, lads. But so, so you're not, you know, as a, as a, as an official as official young person, you're not. You're not a huge fan of the Green Belt, then.
0: I mean, it's good for a weekend away. I've just spent. Uh i actually spent the weekend in a national park, in the Snowdonian National Park, riding the Welsh Highland and Vestidiong Railways, but that's... Uh,
2: not not Greenbelt.
0: That's by the by. Uh, that's, oh, not the,
2: that's not Greenbelt. Well, this I'm is f- the whole problem.
0: Well, well, exactly, exactly. I'm not a fan of the Green... I'm a fan of the Greenbelt as we imagine it. I'm not a fan of the Greenbelt, as per the legal definition, which, you know, I'm not a fan of car parks, I'm not a fan of little-used golf courses or mm. bits of scrubland that are uh, no, uh, uh, neither used nor ornament. You know, give me... But to quote the great journalist, build more bloody houses.
2: Was, quite. So can I talk at you about why this report is like, never mind the fact that like we probably should be building on, on Greenbelt. We will come back to that. But can I explain to you at possibly tedious length why this report is, you know, whether you think it's a good idea to build on Greenbelt or not, it's still nonsense that it's happening.
0: It's your podcast.
2: Yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah, but I've kind of, <laughs> I've locked the door. So you're <laughs> trapped here for the next 20 minutes. So. Basically the problem is the report is a thing called the like the state of the green belt report. And they do this roughly annually. It kind of drifts around the year, but they do one every year. And each year they look at the numbers and they find, that, oh wow, the numbers have increased. In 2015 it was about 150,000 homes planned to the green belt. Now it's about 460. And you know, in 3 years the idea that like, the threat to the green belt has tripled is that's that's a good headline. This is why it was leading the domestic news this morning. But the word planned is quite important there, because these figures do not reflect actual spades in the ground, even planning permissions. What they represent is uh, local plans, which are documents put together by councils to show how they might meet their housing need. The so, keyword word in that sense
0: is need, yeah. regardless of how much people like the CPRE carp and complain and say, you know, won't somebody please think of my car park? It's a question of need, isn't it? Yeah,
2: but this is this is my point it's like we're already getting distracted it's like well we need the houses and we do need the houses and we will talk about needing the houses but like the point is it's not more houses that are being produced it is more local plans this is not a sign of like loads more houses this is a sign of loads more paperwork saying that houses might happen it's like literally in 2015 when there are only 150,000 homes fewer councils have produced local plans it's just more of them have finished these documents it's nonsense it's a lie they are lying to us because they are bad people. People who want to scare old people in saying they're going to concrete over the countryside. You better give us your money, basically, is what's going on here.
0: Well Yeah, I know someone who I actually know someone who I won't name, between them and the ballot box, who voted for Brexit because they were scared of what would happen to the Green Belt if we had to build more houses.
2: Oh, my God.
0: Yeah. This is I, like someone I know and respect. Respect. Yeah, respect. You know. I, I, I'm trying not to reveal who it is because I, you know.
2: So if we're if we're Batman and Robin, then this person is like the Joker, right? Like this is like my nemesis. You're describing here. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. They 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 voted for Brexit because of the green Belt. because they love the green belt. Uh, what do they think about? I mean, I'm 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 sight unseen. I'm assuming this might be an elderly relative. But like, what do they think about your prospects for buying a house? I,
0: I assume they think one would magically become available. In the existing within the existing stock we already have, I imagine. I you know, I don't think new builds figure in their imagination.
2: I mean I guess it's also worth stating, you know, you're you're from the north. I am. Like Andy Burnham.
0: I am. Um, well, I mean I'm from the north like Andy Burnham. I wouldn't have, ever presume, I wouldn't ever be as immodest and
2: You're not a patch on the great man. No, of course not. You are from the same. You're from literally the same borough originally, aren't you?
0: Yeah, right. although, and you know, let's not get into Andy Burn's biography, but he, uh yeah, we were both born in the metropolitan borough of Sefton, he...
2: in the in the very fine uh, Liverpool city region. Indeed,
0: Dave Mel, if you're listening,
2: yeah, good old Dave. <laughs> but I mean, the the point I was reaching for there though is that like houses are. It's not that there isn't a housing crisis elsewhere in the country. There is, but it's different in character. It's not the kind of sheer supply crisis mm. you have in London and many of the other southeastern cities, and also. I, I don't know what the average uh, three-bed semi goes for in in the metropolitan borough of Sefton, but I'm going to guess it's quite a lot lower than in, say, where do you live now?
0: Uh, I live in Finsbury Park. Yeah. So Houses you're in fin- looking at like 500, 600, 700 grand, depending on which bit of Finsbury Park you're looking at.
2: For that, you might get a two-bed flat. Yeah. For an actual house in Finsbury Park, you are talking upwards of a million. I would be shocked if it was less than that. So, so I mean, I guess what I'm saying is, like, does your does this kind of anonymous person who may or may not be an elderly relative, is it because they're thinking that maybe you will move back to the very fine metropolitan borough of Sefton when it comes to I the mean, house?
0: If I mean, if I'm completely honest, I think that was a polite way of saying I'm worried about immigration. I think it was a respectable right. middle class way of saying I'm worried about migration. But, I mean, it's interesting in that the Green Belt, as is popularly imagined, is considered... Integral to our idea, well, not, not you or I, idea, John, you know, mm-hmm. people with you know metropolitan types with podcasts, um, integral to the idea of what the country is and the character of the country. So, which is why, you know, uh, ridiculous and thin reports like this uh, get so much traction because the idea of concrete- concreting over our green and pleasant land uh, is so offensive to, you know, a certain English psyche. And I think it is an English one
2: yeah no, I think it's our kind of national mythology about what the country looks like. I mean, just physically, geographically, mm. when we talk about local history, when we talk about places that kind of exist in the national mythology, they are generally counties rather than cities. Mm. like the, there isn't really a sort of Leeds mythology. There's a Yorkshire mythology.
0: and you um your mind immediately turns to the dales. As uh, you know, in the north, it t- you know it turns to Yorkshire Dales. It turns to moors. In the south, it turns to the Garden of England and mm. the Downs and the Chilterns. You know, yeah, like you say, it never turns to Frankie and Benny's in Beaconsfield. Or the- <laughs> That's a fantastic probably, example, which is probably, which is probably more representative of the character of the country, actually. Yeah.
1: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com/slash host.
2: But I mean, I, I do think this is kind of, we do just kind of see the country through the prism of, of its country. So have you ever read Coming Up for Air by George Orwell? I have. Yeah, it's um, quite, it's a little bit obscure. It's a 1938 novel about a guy who's, like, realising that war is coming and he's very, he's having a midlife crisis. Taking his dentures out. Yeah. Obsessed with King Zog. He's meant to be, like, 36 years old as well. He sounds about 60. Yeah, he's written this as this old man, which I find He returns
0: to the sort of bucolic honeypots of his youth where he used to spend time skimming stones. It wanders
2: around Surrey and Berkshire being upset at housing estates. (laughs) But it does kind of fit into that kind of Englishness. It's Mm. the kind of, you know, um, elegy for a country churchyard thing. It's just the idea that the true England is, is the rural one. So, to what extent do you, like, don't, don't be, don't be intimidated because I'm sat here. I genuinely want to know your opinion. I'm not judging. I'm not gonna, like, I will let you out of the room again. Did you believe we should build on the green belt before you were exposed to my regular?
0: I'll t- I'll tell you actually on about the exact it. point at which the scales fell off my eyes. I was deprogrammed and I thought, you know what, this green belt thing is a load of uh, is a load of hokum. So I did my undergraduate degree at UCL and the Labour Club at UCL booked David Lammy in the very early stages of his campaign. Oh, he's good on this, indeed. Yeah, yeah exactly. He uh, for his, uh, the early stages uh, in his mayoral selection campaign I think this was late 2014 and he gave an extemporised speech, leant back in a chair about his plan for London uh, a lot of it focused on housing and there was a brilliant virtuoso sort of 10 minutes on why the Greenbelt uh, was a load of old crap and that's why I keep I'm, I'm, you know, I'm stealing David Lamy's lines here. You know, he said, why shouldn't we build on golf courses and car parks and disused industrial estates in Zone 9? I think he was literally shaking his fists. And I thought, you know what? This fellow's got a point.
2: Yeah, no, David Lamy's all right. I mean, he's pretty good in this stuff, I suppose. I mean, he's like, you know, if you like that sort of thing, he's probably, you know, he's probably about as good as me as a as a housing kind of chef. Obviously, I was, I was
0: living on a uh, an Elledge-heavy diet of
2: well, of course online
0: yeah. content at university as well so
2: that's fine okay we'll move on but like so so yeah this is the thing that i think often gets misunderstood is if if you if you think about the kind of green space that that people actually tend to use and which they feel they get value in their lives from it's generally either municipal parks mm. which are not green belt because they're parks or it's like this: is a long countryside. It's like when you were talking about Snowdon- Snowdonia. Yeah, it's or either
0: a national like, park. Yeah, an
2: area of outstanding. It's not a belt,
0: It's, it's yeah. green trousers at that point.
2: Okay, gonna <laughs> probably gonna ignore that.
0: <laughs> no, you, you know what I mean. You know, it's not. It's not belting anything at that point. it's, yeah, the, it's, it's like, the pantaloon of.
2: It's not this kind of like the. So much of the Green Belt is literally just it's the point where London happened to stop in mm. well I can never remember what year it was they brought it in and it was part of the Town and Country Planning Act in nineteen forty seven, but I think it came into effect slightly later. But it was literally just happened to be where where the development had got to and no further. So so if you go to like I do know, Cock Foster's, which sits right on the edge of on the physical edge of London, there is a country park up there, Trent Country Park, which is lovely, but there's also just, you know, agricultural fields on the other side of the road. And it's not, you know, we shouldn't be touching the country park, but it's not obvious to me why, why we need to be growing wheat, um, within a five minute walk of a, of, of a tube station with a train every two minutes to central London. That just feels like a sort of, you know, that's not, that's not ideal.
0: It will be useful after Brexit though.
2: It, it will. That's true. In fact, like um, my, my, my friend, uh, Jim Smith, actually sent me a message just before we started doing this saying, you know, did you ever go to that potato farm on the Today programme this morning? Because we're going to need potatoes after <laughs> Brexit. We are going to need all the, all the sources of... I mean, at that point, also, like at that point, as people are fleeing the country, demand for housing is is going to fall. Exactly. So, Problem so solved. Maybe I'll have to rethink my city metric down. Maybe it will turn out that I've been wrong about everything this entire this entire time. So what do you think of that? Sorry, I'm really just kind of asking you stupid questions about housing. It's turning into a bit of a get-to-know-you session. But what do you think about the CPRE as an an organisation?
0: I'm inherently suspicious of any pressure group which prefaces its name with campaign or suffixes it with alliance. Or, you know, it's one of those slightly shady... Uh, i don 't think it 's shady, I think i 'm being a bit uh, overdramatic there it 's
2: not shady at all, which if i 'm really depressing, like the queen's its patron it used to have, like it used to be Bill Bryson used to be very heavily involved in it. It's kind of all these sort of establishment figures who own multiple houses, but they're still like... It's not like like the Taxpayers' Alliance, which is really just dodgy as anything. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. But, but It's a
2: real thing. I just think it's a thing that's completely wrong.
0: I mean, it's a good case study in how the news cycle works, if we get a bit sort of inside baseball. You know, the, you have people who are wrong about more or less everything... On You know, from an empirical standpoint, who nonetheless generate miles and miles and acres of acres of column inches by speaking nonsense on emotive but pressing policy issues
2: like this one. I mean, do you think they're right about anything? I don't actually, despite the sort of self-parodic way I present myself, I don't actually think we should scrap green belts entirely. Like, I think... We should just be taking a more flexible view and saying, "Well, actually, this bit of land next to a tube station that that's like off limits to the public. It's not like anyone's sort of you know sort of sunbathing there, on a, or you know enjoying it with the kids or something. It is literally just kind of a farm, and and you can grow potatoes in, on site. It's rather further from London." So with the demand for housing in in London and certain other cities like, you know, Oxford or Cambridge or Bristol, wherever it is so high, I just think we should be sort of reviewing it and saying, okay, this bit is, this bit is beautiful. This bit is, has this sort of public utility. This bit is just kind of a bit ugly and scrubby and pointless. So maybe we could sort of put four houses here. I just think we need to be kind of like looking at it piece by piece. I don't think sprawl is a good idea. I mean, I think if you go to like one of those big American cities, like, you know, houston or atlanta wherever it is where it's just it's carried on forever yeah. Yeah. yeah and to get anywhere you need a car they're too big to kind of make public transport work that's terrible for the environment i don't think that's that's the way forward so i kind of don't entirely disagree with them i just think they're disingenuous about how mm. they about how they approach things also there was another stat in this report this morning where they said england has enough brownfield land for one million homes
0: the brownfield argument is so tedious.
2: What I like about that line is that, like, there is something wrong with almost every word in it. So, firstly, like, saying England has enough land is not useful because we're not, t- it's not a problem in England. It's a problem in specific cities. It's no good there being enough land to build houses on in Barnsley if your job is in Oxford. Mm. One million is, is actually, it sounds enormous. It's not. It's about three or four years' supply. So even if we used every square inch of that, we would be back where we started in, in four years' time. And also, Brownfield is, as is, is you, you suggest, a problematic face. People kind of, like, imagine it, being the opposite of greenbelt whereas you know some greenbelt is brownfield mm. some brownfield is very green some brownfield is nature reserves some brownfield is chemically contaminated floodplains that you probably don't want to build on because it's going to cost you a bloody fortune and then it's going to flood
0: what about the what about their other favourite argument which is what about all these empty houses can we do something about them
2: I think there are probably things you could do with the tax system to kind of discourage um, both buy to leave investment which I don't think is a huge problem but I think it is a problem at the margins and people buying you know second homes or whatever like I think if, if you want to spend your money on like a holiday home or something then fair play I don't think the law should stop you but I think there should be should, the government should not be afraid of using the tax system to make people think twice about that housing should primarily be for people to live in rather than for people to pop down to like once every six months because if I fancy a weekend in Cornwall or something
0: if I, I'm just dreaming about being rich or to on a holiday home or a home at all
2: I wish. All right, we'll see you next time. Good. Okay, I was lying a little bit. That's not quite it for this week. I just wanted to break in with with two observations before we wrap up. The less important of them is that, as you'll know, if you're the kind of person who pays attention to these things, this is episode 99 of Skylines. Which means that next week is a big milestone because it's episode 100. Because that's 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 kind of how numbers work, isn't it? Anyway, I'm quite excited to have made it into, into three figures. Which is, you know, it's a lot of episodes of this thing now. So, to celebrate, I spoke to a few friends of the podcast. Hello, my name's Jim Watson.
1: Hi, my name's Barbara Speed. This is
2: Paul Swinney.
0: Hey guys, it's me, John's number one fan.
2: And I asked them to send us questions say us, because I've got another familiar voice to come back and help me answer them. Hi, John. <laughs> how are
0: you doing? I like how quickly you went from it's our 100th episode <laughs> to, like, the will to live losing your body.
2: So, that's the the less important thing, the, the, the self-indulgent promotions trailer for next week. The more important thing is that after recording that segment for Patrick, I looked up George Orwell's novel, Coming Up For Air, which I haven't read for 15 years and discovered that it was actually published in 1939. And more importantly, George Bowling, the novel's sad middle-aged hero, was not 36, as I imagined. That was, in fact, the age of George Orwell when the book was published. His character, George Bowling, was 45. Which is older than me. Not past it yet. You've been listening to Skylines the podcast from city metric the new statesman city site it was presented and produced by me john Ellich. if you enjoyed the episode then please do consider leaving us an itunes review it really helps other people to discover the show and you know the more people get listening to this show the sooner i can achieve my real goal of world domination for the medium of trains thanks for listening goodbye <laughs>